It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group with financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran, and Keene, First State Bank, Diane Bennett, and the Inspired Team at REMAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. Welcome to another episode of Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group, where every week we are helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. I am your host. I'm also one of the certified financial planners on the show. Thanks for being with us. My name is Mike Bernard. With me in the world headquarters of Corhorn Financial Group in the KFG Studios, certified financial planners, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Yeah, glad to be with you, Mike. In the last 12 months, the stock value of General Electric has wiped out nearly $140 billion. That's billion with a B. Billion dollars. That's twice the amount lost by Enron when it collapsed, and more than the combined bankruptcies of Lehman Brothers and General Motors. And it's not just investors that have been hit by this, but current employees and retirees of GE. So today, uh, we're going to carve out the financial planning lessons that this GE share price crisis provides. All right. If you have a question for us, maybe some concerns, feel free to reach out to us. We'd love to help and even talk about it on the show. If appropriate, you can reach out to us in a few different ways. One, give us a call. Send us a text, 574-222-2000. Call or text 574-222-2000. Find us online, wisemoneyradio.com. You can catch up on previous episodes right there. And speaking of, all over social media and YouTube, the YouTube channel, a lot of folks watch there. And you can subscribe to it, like it, all that sort of stuff. Just search Wise Money Radio and on Facebook and Twitter, Wise Money Radio as well. Uh, GE, one of the most romantic companies in the U.S. Not romantic that they do things on Valentine's Day, but just an amazing (laughs) story. GE started back in the late 1800s by acquiring all the assets of what's this, Edison General Electric, of course, Thomas Edison's company, inventor of the light bulb and many other things. And... Unfortunately, that light bulb's been on a dimmer switch the past 12 months, um, and looks like it's it could even go out. You don't like the dad jokes there, Kevin? That's fairly painful. That <laughs> I, learned, I learned them from you. <laughs> so uh, in late April, so about a month ago or so, Wall Street Journal actually published an article talking about not only just the nerdy stuff that we care about, but some of the personal financial challenges that you care about as well. And we actually want to want to dive into that story and talk about some of the personal finance lessons that we should all learn and glean from what's been happening with GE stock. I'm a big believer that you can't let any painful experience go by without learning the lesson. So that's what we're going to try and do today. So the first lesson that comes to mind is the idea of owning a lot of your own company's stock. Yeah, and, and maybe not just a lot, but maybe too much, yeah. right? There, there is a threshold that you can cross where maybe you have too much exposure to just one company stock, whether you work for that company or maybe it's a company that you inherited the stock for, um, maybe from a, a loved one who passed away or something like that. But this can happen to a lot of people, and it can happen pretty innocently over time because many employers, when they do a, an employer match, for example, on a retirement plan contribution, 
when they're throwing money into your retirement plan, some employers require that those dollars go into the uh, the company stock. And that is still out there. That was very prevalent, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. But now, and you know, these days, less and less of that's happening, but it's still out there. That's right. I've uh, had many clients who have uh, company stock in their 401k, and the company has just grown like gangbusters. Sure. So over time, that one holding within their portfolio can just kind of crowd out some of the others because it's just growing faster. It's not just your 401k. Uh, the article states here, actually, that GE had a stock purchase plan, right. and it really mm-hmm. strongly encouraged employees to contribute into this different plan where you could buy shares on a systematic basis, usually at a discount. So there's good things in that. But you just need – so we're not saying don't do it. Just That's be right. careful how much of your um, total portfolio concentration is in one company. Well, and also be careful of maybe becoming overly confident in your ability to assess that company. Yeah. You know, there's a school of thought out there that says when you're investing in individual stocks, buy the stuff you know and love, right? So as, as a Disney guy, you might buy Disney stock if you're going to invest in individual stocks because you just love it. You're, you're there. Might. Might. Oh, maybe you already have. Of course. All right. Good self-disclosure there. <laughs> <coughs> we'll talk after here, Mike. Yeah, sure. <laughs> no, uh, but, but that, that uh, thinking often applies to, well, I work for this company. Mm-hmm. I know it. I love it. And I show up every day. So this belief that maybe uh, somehow you're going to have a better insight into how it's doing and you might be able to navigate the, the waters a little bit better – um, sometimes that overconfidence can get you into trouble because we've seen plenty of examples, GE, just the most recent, where your company's stock that was everyone's darling before suddenly starts to fall for maybe reasons that you didn't see coming. My, one of my best friends on the planet is an ex-GE employee, and he's uh, we don't talk much about finances, but he says how much he loves his GE stock. And in the article, it states here that since the peak of 2000, not 2008, 2000, GE's market cap has fallen $460 billion. Wow. And so, boy, there must be a lot of love there because uh, there's a lot of pain in that. Yeah, and I would, I would also caution you, you know, we're talking about your own company's stock and not falling too in love with that. But I, I would say that about any individual stock. I, yeah. I was talking... Uh, with a client and he had, he said hey i don't know why if you had a big liquidity event you wouldn't put a million dollars in AT&T stock and that was a couple months ago and AT&T at the time was at 38 dollars uh, per share it, as of hot off the presses it's at 31.99 so you would have lost 7 dollars a share there and and because the and the point was well listen you've got this great at the time five and three quarter percent dividend well yeah. guess what the dividend is now north of six percent it's called a yield rally <laughs> when that share price goes down that dividend yield increases so this I'm gonna I'm gonna go into a little uncharted territory here because it certainly is all circumstantial but there are 
people right now who've done very well buying their own company stock or mm-hmm. investing in individual stock. And so we're not saying, well, that was just sheer luck or that was a foolish move. No, it, it happens. But we're talking about putting some guardrails on those emotions and those positions. So how much? How much in a company stock? And of course, it's circumstantial, but is there a guardrail that you say, hey, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have your company stock exceed X amount, X percent in your portfolio? I'm curious to hear what you guys would say on this, but I often, just, just individual companies or any one single holding in a portfolio, um, a rule of thumb, which I don't always like, but yeah, you don't. A, a rule of thumb would be to not go north of 3 to 5%. Mm. And that might be kind of an extreme. Yeah. If you look at most mutual funds, they don't they don't hold too much uh, more than that in any one holding. But often, when it comes to employer stock, many people have multiples of that, mm-hmm. and often we'll start uh, trying to chip away and and try to get it down closer to ten percent for some people. So for for your own company stock, and again, this is circum- this is not advice. This is but but my rule of thumb is closer to ten percent for your own company <laughs> stock. Yeah, I, I if I were if I were to have a rule of thumb, as a rule of thumb, I would look at ten percent. And yeah. I think it, it it and again it totally depends because if I've got my if my total investment portfolio is ten thousand dollars, then maybe ten percent isn't a, a great number. There are some pretty neat things that you can do. There are some employer stock purchase plans that let you buy in at a 15% discount. So right off the bat, I've made 15% on on uh, my sh- my shares. So th- there are things that you want to consider. If you own company stock in a 401k, you need to know about the amazing tax treatment that your gains can have uh, within the 401k. So if you're listening to this, don't go to the computer right now and get online and sell your company stock. Run, don't walk <laughs> to your certified financial planner and say, hey, I need a plan to know. And again, if, if, if concentration builds wealth and diversification preserves it, what should you be doing right now? That's right. That's right. What about having a pension or even health insurance in retirement from your employer? There poses some risk there. We're going to talk about that and more coming up here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Is your pension at risk in retirement or is it a sure thing? We're talking about that as it comes to GE employees and more on this episode. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being with us. My name is Mike. Across from me, Kevin Corhorn. Between us, Josh Gregory. Special thanks to the attorneys at Ledoux, Kern, and Keen, as well as First State Bank for making the Wise Money Show possible. If you have any questions for us, Give us a call. Send us a text, 574-222-2000. That's 574-222-2000. That can be a question for the show or just any issue going on in your financial life you need some help with. Reach out to us. Find us on YouTube. Just search Wise Money Radio. Every episode is right there as well as on podcast, iTunes, Google Play. We've got a couple sick uh, uh radio show experts here in the studio, Kevin and Josh, both of them. You might hear them cough, <laughs> sneeze, 
sick then, not as in the the young kid slang like really cool <laughs> yeah no 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 yeah okay. so gary z started working for general electric back in 1976 at an aviation factory in his hometown of lynn mass the job paid well came with benefits and for mr z provided a career ladder for a man with a high school education who started out cleaning toilets he said, you had a job for life if you got in there, said Mr. Z, 61 years old now. He rose to punch press operator and retired in 2016 after working 40 years at the century-old plant, which roared to life after and during World War II. He left GE with an annual pension of $85,000 a year wow. and company stock valued at more than $280,000. His retirement looked pretty good, obviously, yeah, with a pension like that and a good nest egg there. Right up until GE shares collapsed about a year ago, his shares are now worth $110,000. That's prompted him to get on the job hunt again, which is a little interesting. I would argue financial planning could have helped or avoided some of that, by the way. I'm just simply reading the article here. Um he said, I never planned on retiring and having to go back to work, said Mr. Z, who has monthly mortgage payments and supports a partially disabled wife. It's kind of scary, he says. That is scary. Yeah. And we've seen stories like that happen. This is why we encourage you, as Kevin did in the last segment, run, don't walk to your certified financial planner's office and talk about these things. They should bring confidence, clarity, and creativity there, we're we're going to talk. Your certified financial planner is going to talk to you about some of the risks that you might say, no, there's no risk of that happening. No, absolutely. We're going to talk through that. You know, the interesting observation is with an $85,000 a year pension, you might think, well, that alone makes him solid and just set for retirement, mm-hmm. right? Right. But what we don't know is what kind of lifestyle he has. Obviously, out on the East Coast, there's a different... Uh, living standard than what maybe we enjoy in the in the Midwest here. The story also says he retired in his early 60s, too early for Social Security. That's right. It also says he has a mortgage. Not that I'm knocking on anyone with a mortgage in retirement, but again, if, maybe that would have been a financial goal that we could have focused in on. He could have, yeah. But neither Social Security or a pension by themselves is enough for you to just confidently march into retirement and know that you're you're set for life. You need to still have a retirement nest egg built up, whether that's in a a 401k or an IRA, Roth IRAs. Any of these types of accounts can be the vehicle you use. But the the point is you need a pool of dollars that you can tap into uh, whenever, you know, as you need to, in addition to the stream of income that a pension provides. And he had that. It's just he had it. In hindsight, it all becomes clear, but he had it in the wrong place. He was completely concentrated in GE stock. And again, the reason why, when 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 you say, why do people behave the way they do financially, because that was the that was the go-to employer in town. He'd been there 40 years, and everyone that he knew owned a bunch, a bunch of GE stock. Certainly he knew a bunch of GE stock millionaires, and people talked about how much GE stock they owned, and they got excited when the dividend checks came in. Yeah. And so... There's a lot to like about that story. It's just when you transition then into retirement, or when you see something like this happen, you realize hey, maybe a different approach would have been a little more appropriate. Let's talk about that pension. I mean, $85,000 as a pension at age 61, that is, that's pretty good. Unless it freezes, unless it um, suddenly 
goes away. Right here in our own backyard here in Michiana, we've got that going on with a couple of big medical offices where they've frozen their pension and now they're in the process of saying, we don't want this liability on our financial statements anymore. Here, you take the money and do something with it. Uh, We've seen this time and again with very, very large employers in the area and it's happening right now. What's interesting about GE, the article states that the average pension for very, very large companies is funded about 87%. So that's that should scare you a little bit. Yeah. Only 87% of the money is actually in there, but that's on average. GE's is only funded 71%, and the company's having trouble. It's one of the lowest of the, the that was studied, one of the lowest uh, funded thresholds of any of those companies. So it's possible. I don't want to scare any of you GE retirees, but it's possible that GE might have to say, hey, we're freezing this thing or we need to make some changes to this pension. Yeah, just to put some real numbers to that, um, they have pension, GE has pension obligations of $100 billion, and it's underfunded by almost $30 billion. So when you think about that, because you you think about uh, Mr. Z, he's got a pension of $85,000 a year. So think about that. General Electric is paying him $85,000 per year for the rest of his life to not work. And it's it's pretty astounding. And you say, well, where do they get the money for that? As, as Mr. Z was working, General Electric was supposed to be setting aside the right amount of money and the pension should be totally funded. So there shouldn't be any issues. But if you have, as in the, the, the situation we're talking about, if you're having a hard time paying your bills in the first place, and then you get a letter from the company, and I, I never believed this could really happen until 2009, and I had a client get a letter that said, we're either going to stop paying the pension or dramatically reduce it. And he got the letter in May of 2009, and it said, and you will find out what you're getting moving forward in September. And he got a letter in September and his pension was reduced by 25%. And I thought, well, it kind of shook my confidence because all of the things that you thought could never happen, right? Like a a money market account would never break the buck and these silly little things like a pension fund would never not be able to meet its obligations. And those things started to happen. And so to me, the, the if you're listening, the point of the moral of the story is not to um, be afraid. Right. The, the point of the story is to lean in and have an awareness of the health of the pension that you're receiving and w- what your company's doing. And if you have that nest egg outside, which Joshua was talking about, you might not want to have it all in one company stock. That's right. And also just understand why these pension companies or the, these pension plans are being shut down. New employers are not be, or employees are not being offered these pensions because of some of the economic forces that have been at work over the past three or four decades with interest rates declining. When, when they're making deposits into this plan for you or for other employees, they're doing it with certain assumptions on what kind of rate of return they can earn. Yeah. And with interest rates still at crazy, historic low levels, the, the pool of money is just not generating what it used to. Right. And the other effect is just simply that people are living longer than ever before. Mm-hmm. And that's the one that you should really take note of, in my opinion. 
because that will affect you whether you have a pension or not. Right. Right. You need to plan on having a very long retirement, longer than you think, which means that nest egg that you are building to supplement Social Security or if you have a pension, supplement that as well. It needs to be larger than maybe you even realize. Yeah. If you go back and, and read in the article, uh, you know, it says, you know, the shares collapsed and, you know, his shares are worth 110000 prompting a late life job hunt. Hey, listen, Mr. Z, I got news for you. <laughs> That's not late. You're, it's, you're looking at a midlife job hunt. You're 61. Right. And um, things are going to change. People are living longer. The the life expectancy in 1900 in the U.S. was in the mid-40s, and we finished 100 years later with a life expectancy uh, in, in the late 70s. Yeah. So the point here isn't to avoid all of that like the plague. No, just make sure you have good balance and that you're making wise choices with how all of those components of your financial life fit together. There's a couple other lessons we need to glean out of this story. Plus, Dave, listener Dave, has a question to follow up on the Medicare and Medicare Advantage show that we had just a few episodes ago with expert Ted Foster. That and more coming up here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. My name is Mike here in the KFG studios with Kevin and Josh. Thank you to Bethel College Adult and Graduate Studies, as well as Diane Bennett with REMAX 100 for partnering with us on the Wise Money Show. We've been talking about the difficult, painful lessons, personal financial planning lessons learned in the recent crisis of GE, their company, and the stock price, and really how you can prepare for that, how you can avoid that, hopefully, uh, from from falling victim to what, sadly, some of the retirees and employees have had to suffer through. If you have any questions, if you have any needs, reach out to us, 574-222-2000. You can call or text us, 574-222-2000. Online, wisemoneyradio.com, and on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, Search Wise Money Radio. A couple more lessons to hit here before we jump into questions from fans of the show. And the next one is, you know, when you see the struggles that GE has gone through, no, it wasn't scandal like like Enron, and it wasn't just, um, you know, market forces, you know, a huge uh, great recession like it was for Lehman or... Uh, General Motors is just just challenges um, with their business model. You start wondering, well, what about the people who just assume, just plan? I don't really need to set money aside for retirement because my plan is I'm going to work for forever. I'm going to work forever, and I think that is a lesson that we can glean from this. It might be difficult because I have family members who have looked at me square in the face and said, "Yep, yeah, that's my plan. I'm just going to work for." ever. And they're disabled now yeah. in their 50s. Yep. I I feel like this is maybe um, one of the big lessons that all of us need to, to pay attention to because the, the trend is that, yes, many people are starting to work a little bit longer than when I started my career, everyone wanted to retire in their 50s. Yeah. By, by 60, I want to be out. Now, you know, ages are starting to creep a little bit higher, but uh, the studies are showing that people are still working 
um, th- they're planning to work longer than they're actually working. Right. So something's pushing them out sooner than what they're ready. And most often it's health-related issues, either for themselves or for a loved one that they need to care for. I'm hearing an interesting one more and more. The changes in how work is being done is leading some to feel less competent and capable, which is just an uncomfortable feeling. And so I actually have someone retiring this year who said he was planning on working for another five years, but retired is retiring early because he just feels like, I don't feel as good at my job anymore, mm-hmm. and it makes me not want to continue as long as I thought I would. Right, so there are forces at work in those later years when you get to the point of of when to retire that you might not be able to recognize in your 30s, your 40s, and even your 50s. And so the point here is there could be forces outside of your control, or things just might change. That's right. That might lead you to change your plan. And if you haven't been preparing along the way, that might be a very, very tough adjustment. Yeah, I think the the moral of the story is to have a plan. And I, to me, I think life is lived the easiest when you compare it to a card game. <laughs> and so, <laughs> which card game? Well, there are lots of card games that you could use uh, depending on the situation that you're talking about. But I think about this almost like hearts. So if you have no. Shoot the moon. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have the 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 wh- what an uncomfortable and awkward phrase. <laughs> yeah, no, but Sounds seriously. Painful. So you have a hand, and you say, "Hey, I can either get all the points right. if this goes right, or I can get none of the points." Right. And if you try to get all the points, and the cards don't fall just right, um. Instead of sticking everyone else at the table, you end up getting stuck. And and that's where you, it, for my, from my experience, you want to have a plan that offers you the greatest amount of flexibility. And you say, well, how do I get great flexibility baked into my financial plans? It's by starting early, and I'm not giving an age because early, um, yeah. early needs to be early next week. How's that? But you want to start early and you want to start doing things that will give you many different options in your financial life as you go. So that if you're working someplace and where you're working, um, you say, hey, my contribution isn't valued or there is a robot that's going to be doing what I was doing or whatever else. You can get retrained. You can get repurposed. You can go find something else that would be fulfilling if you still need to work financially. But I, I would try, I think, of going through life with a kind of a janitor's key ring, and all I'm trying to do is add as many keys to my key ring as I possibly can so that any door that I come to, I can unlock it. I, I just must say I'm a fan of both of those analogies. Those are good. They both work. Yeah, the only problem with the Jenner's key ring is watch what it does to your pants. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wear a belt and suspenders. Yeah, hey, there we go. We got that phrase, too. All right, this one leads right into uh, a couple questions that we have from listeners of the show. And it's a spinoff of uh, an episode that we just had about health insurance. And 
another lesson that can be learned from GE is if you're relying on retiree health care. When you turn age 65, whether you're working or not, you're going to make one of the biggest financial decisions of your life, and that is, what do you do with Medicare? We've got a question from Dave that we're going to tackle about that, but what if part of that decision is, and eh, I don't have to worry about it that much because my company has me covered, and then your company, while you're in retirement, like Honeywell has done recently, says, nah, we don't have you covered. We're, we're changing the deal. Yeah, that's happening right now, this summer. Uh, coverage is ending for a lot of folks who have been dependent upon it. And our own Ted Foster, who's been on the show uh, several times, he's uh, one of our health insurance experts here at Corhorn Financial Group. He's been serving a lot of those folks to help them scramble and figure out what their next option is going to be, whether that's Medicare and Medicare supplement uh, plan in place, getting Part D. Uh, we, we have entire shows about these options that you could go back and listen to if you're facing uh, this potential crisis. But um, it, it's an important decision because you're asking the question, well, how much do I want to keep uh, of this risk on my own shoulders? Do I want to have effectively like a high deductible type plan, which is Medicare Advantage, or do you have a Medicare supplement instead and that covers more things? But cost more potentially. Mm -hmm. So these are important decisions that uh, there's not a one-size-fits-all decision on this. It really depends upon your own budget and what you're facing and and also just uh, some of your preferences as well. Yeah. So let me me retell the story and I'm going to say it in a way that kind of draws us in and draws us to a close so we can transition to listener questions. And if you have the majority, and even in Mr. Z's example, all of your retirement nest egg in your company stock, as well as your lifelong income is vested, connected with the company, your all of your income in your working years, of course, is coming from your company, as well as your benefits, and you're relying on benefits from your company to support your retirement, you can see that your entire financial house is built on that foundation of one company continuing to exist and excel and thrive for your entire life. It might happen. I hope it does. However, financial planning is the process that you would use to help shore up and provide a more stable foundation that hopefully does use and leverage the benefits and and um, attributes of the company that you work for, but you're not going to be completely dependent upon it, such that if that foundation, if that company starts to go under, you're not sunk as well. Yeah, Jack Welsh, during his tenure, the S&P 500 was up 700%. GE stock under Jack Welsh was up 2,800. Yeah. So the S&P 500 was up 700 a GE was up 2,800. During Jeffrey Immelt's tenure, the S&P 500 was up 125, and GE was down 30. Crazy. So, Crazy. You, so you never know, and that's why you want to have a plan. A couple of great listener questions about health insurance and a few other things coming up here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group.
This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran, and Keene, First State Bank, Diane Bennett, and the Inspired Team at REMAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. If you have a Medicare Advantage plan and you're in retirement, can you switch to traditional Medicare? It's a great question. We've got that from Dave coming up in just a moment. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group coming to you from the KFG Studios. My name is Mike Bernard with Josh Gregory and Kevin Corhorn. If you've missed anything, there's a few pretty thrilling ways for you to catch up on what you've missed. The first is go to the YouTube channel, Wise Money Radio. You can find us right there. Subscribe to it. Every episode's right there. We record every episode, video record every episode. Uh, we also audibly record every episode. That's how it gets on the radio. <laughs> and we throw that on podcasts as well. You can subscribe to that. iTunes, Google Play, just search Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. If the discussion today has sparked any questions or if you have needs going on in your financial life, reach out to us, 574-222-2000. Call or text that number, 574-222-2000. All right, we've got a couple of great questions from fans of the show. And I think both of them kind of spawn off of the show we did a few weeks ago with uh, health expert Ted Foster talking about health insurance, especially the, the second question we're going to hit from Dave. So the first one is from Jenny. She says, I am getting a divorce later this year and have been on my husband's health insurance. I'm 49. We have no kids still at home. So it's just me that will need coverage. Am I allowed to stay on my husband's insurance after the divorce or will I need to go out and find my own coverage? It's a great question. You hitting that one or am I? <laughs> you, uh, go ahead. You can take the first swing at it. I'm, I, Jenny, Jenny, who can I turn to? Uh, let, Josh, what do you have? You know what? I, this would be one of those uh, examples of where the first thing I would do is get you connected with someone who is an expert in health insurance to let you look at all your options. Absolutely. And, and have a comparison because most people have more than one choice on on the table. Uh, it could be going online and getting an Obamacare plan. That might be the best option for you if you're able to get certain subsidies and things. It might make that more affordable for you. Um, the My understanding is that in most circumstances, you wouldn't be able to stay on the health insurance plan for your work unless you're applying through COBRA for a while. But yeah. Uh, th- that's not a long-term solution. You're, uh, what, 49 years old, so you need something to bridge the gap from 49 all the way to age 65 when you would go on Medicare and have that type of plan in place, which is really kind of a layering of plans there. Yeah. Um, you know, the first thing I would be also asking you about is uh, w- what's your work situation, Yeah. right? Uh, this is a this is a bigger life transition than just figuring out health insurance. It's also about do you have the right amount of income coming in and will that employer have a great option for you for health insurance as well? Mm-hmm. I've, you know, unfortunately worked with a lot of folks who, uh, whether it's divorce or death, they find themselves as a single uh, individual and maybe they were not the main breadwinner for all the years uh, of raising kids or or during their married life. And all of a sudden, they're scrambling to get back into uh, the work world. And in particular, this health insurance topic is one of the drivers of what is a sustainable employer 
in a, a sustainable uh, work situation for them to finish out um, until retirement age. You got it. And that can be a tough change at a time you're going through a very tough change. But that's the first thing that comes to mind for me as well, Jenny, is I'd reevaluate um, your work situation and first and foremost from a budgeting and income standpoint so that you can be sustaining. But then second, see how that might play into your health insurance options. COBRA, I'm assuming, would be an option, but that would be expensive. You're paying for all of it. The company doesn't, you, you don't get any support from from your husband's, uh, ex-husband's com- company. And then you might want to explore Obamacare if neither of those are good options. Yeah, and just for clarity's sake, Jenny, the what you want to know for sure is you can't stay as a dependent on right. the coverage. So you're going to have to do something, whether that is COBRA, which is basically continuation of benefits, or and if you if you're working right now, maybe one of the things that you can do, maybe this is a qualifying event where you can opt into the insurance at your workplace. If not, because of the way the economy is right now, it is a great time to be either getting training to do something else, or maybe there's another uh, company with your skills that would offer health benefits. And the, the benefits package is a big deal. That's right. All right. Thanks for the question, Jenny, and, uh, and, and best luck. Hopefully that helps. Dave has the second question. He says, I'm 69 and have Medicare Advantage for me and my wife. I'm finding that we have a lot of copays and other out-of-pocket expenses with our health insurance, far more than what it sounds like our other friends experience. Is that how it's supposed to work, or do I need to change my Medicare plan? There is a lot to this question, Dave. Great question. Thank you. Thank you for it. I I would point you back to the uh, episode of Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group from, I believe it was two weeks ago. So it should be uh, season three, episode 37, uh, the Medicare show with Ted Foster, where we talked about this. And it's confusing. Number one, it's confusing because you've got two big choices and they both start with the same word, Medicare. <laughs> so so when you're having cards or having dinner with some friends, you're both talking about Medicare. But what it sounds like are two very, very different experiences. And what I've seen with folks is when you realize your experience is different than the other couple and it sounds worse, ooh, you feel like you got ripped off or you are really in a bad situation and that's uncomfortable. So you'd want to make a change. The point is though, that choice is traditional Medicare, which is part A, B, D, and a supplement, which comes with a higher monthly cost, but when you use the insurance, it doesn't cost you much out of pocket. Or going with Medicare part C, which is Medicare Advantage, which is a much lower monthly cost. But when you use the insurance, you have to pay more out-of-pocket, higher deductibles. Yeah, and there is to go, you can go any time from the traditional, which is A, B, D, and a supplement, over to an Advantage plan. You can't go at any time from an Advantage over to the traditional. So when you think of the Advantage, 
Think of a an HMO or a PPO type of an arrangement where you there are some serious limitations, and people say, "Well, hey, I'm I'm saving money. I'm either paying nothing or nineteen dollars or forty nine dollars a month, and that's cheaper than the Medicare supplement that my friends are paying for one hundred and sixty a month or something like that." Yeah, right. I have a brand new client who uh, just started working with them. Used to work in a local school system which had amazing benefits all throughout her working career. And, you know, she was just used to, uh, you've got some premiums um, that you pay, but the company covers all the costs, basically. Very little out-of-pocket expense. That is more the way, more of the experience that people report to us when they have the traditional Medicare and Medicare supplement plan in place. Mm -hmm. Medicare Advantage leaves a lot more exposure to potential out-of-pocket costs. Um, But if you're staying healthy and you you really don't use the healthcare system all that often, it's a way to potentially save some money because the premiums are lower every month. But you just don't know what you're still exposed to. Mm -hmm. And so I, I encourage people to think back on, well, you know, you've you've had your entire working career kind of training yourself that insurance works a certain way, and setting up your your health insurance game plan for retirement should be consistent with what um, y- the experience you're trying to create for yourself. And at the risk of a little uh, shameless self promotion here, if you go back and listen to that show that Ted did, one of the points that that he brought up, and we actually had a listener to the show come to us and say, hey, I'm in this situation. It happened to me. If you are 65, you need to sign up for Part D if you um, don't have a plan that has creditable drug coverage. And that sounds like a bunch of mumbo jumbo. Yeah, it does. Only because it is. Yep. And But basically, if you have a high deductible health plan and you're putting money into an HSA, it's likely that you do not have creditable coverage. So if you are age 65 and older, your employer should be providing you a letter annually saying you either do or do not have creditable coverage. And again, we're getting in the weeds a little bit here. Reach out to Ted and get an answer. And you need to make this decision in light of your entire financial plan. It just needs to be baked in. Thanks for the question, Dave and Jenny. That is all the time we have for today. On behalf of Josh Gregory, Kevin Corhorn, and the rest of us at Corhorn Financial Group, have a great weekend. We'll see you next Saturday for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Securities offered through Silver Oak Securities, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through KFG Wealth Management, LLC. Doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC and Silver Oak Securities Incorporated companies are unaffiliated.